we have this like in you're intimidated and thinking, oh my god. But when you realize it's just another computer, it's the same computer as the one I've got, i.e. it's got a hard drive, it's got a disk, it's got a CPU, some memory, it's got programs, operating system. Oh, right, okay, yeah, that's right, obviously. It's, I mean, and then that just, there's an aha moment there, but there's tons of those aha moments that then you realize, no, this isn't magic. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Code of Career podcast with me, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Omar Tafail. Omar is the founder of Loopsio, a really cool organisation that is helping Scottish students get real life work experience at high growth companies. So believe me when I say if you're a current uni student, you don't want to miss this. Omar's also in the very interesting position of someone who is a career changer but also holds a full computer science degree. So today we're actually lucky enough to have someone who's been on both sides of the table in terms of learning methods and can talk about the advantages and disadvantages of each. This one was a ton of fun to record and I'm sure you'll really enjoy it. Just a quick note before the interview. So as frequent listeners will know, we've been running sponsorless for the last few episodes. It would be very helpful if you know anyone who may be interested in sponsoring the show, please do put them in touch with me. Or alternatively, we have just launched a Patreon. The link's in the description. If we get five or six people joining as patrons, that will actually cover the cost of running the show. You can join for £5 a month. Obviously, no pressure if you're short on money, looking for a job or any situation like that. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Omar. Thanks for joining Omar. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely amazing. That's great. That's that's very, very high energy for the podcast. I don't think anyone's said amazing so far. Uh, I think we must be like a good sort of 75 episodes in. And no one said that. So um, I like this already. Um, cool. Uh, so for anyone who hasn't come across you uh, before, particularly in the Scottish tech scene, um, do you want to say a little bit about who you are and what you do? So my name is Omar Tefel. I am the founder of a startup called Lipsio. We uh help Scottish university students who are doing computing subjects get work experience that's paid, it's remote, it's flexible around their studies and helps them uh, understand the real world in terms of how do you build software for real businesses. And we pair them with businesses, startups and non-technical founders who are looking for some early stage software. So it could be a prototype, an MVP, some idea that they've been thinking about for a while uh could be a fully established company that just wants to embark on the digital uh transformation kind of journey and we're the best place for them to do that because it's low risk it's low cost they get to engage with up-and-coming talent it's local it's just off the charts it's amazing you should come check out com. no but that's that's the intro of who i am and what i'm doing but uh suppose we'll get into more depth as we continue this conversation yeah absolutely i mean I, I i'm personally a huge advocate as well of students getting that real world experience in fact that was the main reason why um i reached out to you when i saw what uh, what you're working on i thought that that's exactly what mm. we need right uh in in the mm. tech scene particularly somewhere like scotland where i think we have certainly on a like per capita basis we punch above our weight academically in terms of, like the universities um that we have and I feel like sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect between how good the universities are here 
and mm. the tech scene, which also has had some amazing success stories. And if we could connect the two um, a mm. little bit more, then we could have amazing results. So, yeah, I think what, what you're doing is is exactly what um, what we need as, uh, as a tech scene for, um, for sure. I mean, was that inspired by your own experience? It was heavily inspired by my own experience because I didn't go the traditional route to university. I ended up working from a uh, mom and dad's shop for a while. Uh, I left high school, went straight there, and ended up doing that for a while. And I would say that was a foundational core part of my education and what mm. led me on to software engineering because it gave me an insight into how the real world works, real people uh, serving on customer, you know, being customer centric, you know, the way Amazon and Jeff Bezos is always banging on about. I saw that day in and day out. And when I see some somebody having retail experience on their CV, to me, that's a massive, like, brilliant, this is excellent. Because it shows me that they've got real world experience of interacting with customers. And that's what's missing in the universities for software engineering. In that, I think I've gone off on a tangent here. <laughs> but let's just follow this rabbit hole, right? In that, you learn a ton of, I suppose what you're asking me is, that, how did I end up doing this idea? And what it was is that I got the experience before I got the academics because I ended up working in a retail environment. And from there, I ended up teaching myself at a program. And then I started doing websites and I was getting all this real world experience, making money. But I was thinking, wait, I don't know what I'm doing here because I don't have a quote unquote degree. I haven't been to university. And today, thankfully, that isn't seen as a requirement. As, as much as it was back then, today a company will hire a developer whether they've got a degree or not based on, you know, a GitHub repository, uh, a portfolio, some real world work that they can show. And that's enough because sometimes just having that degree doesn't mean that you're a good coder or you're a yeah. good person to bring on in the team. But going back to your question again, I started on the flip side. I got the experience first and then I got the degree. But when I went to uni, I was like, these kids, they're all missing the, the experience. They don't, I could see the impact it was having uh, on the way they, they, they approached the subject. And so in my final year and in my master's, I looked at that gap between academia and industry and how do you, how do you bridge it? There's, all, there's, all, there's, all, there's, a, there's a whole lot of stuff that's already out there, apprenticeships and placements and all this kind of stuff. But I was looking at, how do you get these students up to speed fast in a way that I had experienced by doing small projects and interacting directly with customers and picking up all those soft skills, but also applying your technical skills to solve a real world problem. So that's how I ended up coming to it. And then I launched a prototype of the idea in the University of Glasgow. And it was great. The students absolutely loved it. And the people that we were servicing within the uni they loved it as well. And I think what we were really adding to the mix was we were pairing these students with these customers, but with the management layer in that I was coming from a software engineering. I knew how to speak the tech to the, the tech team, but I also understood the customer. So I was coming at it from a business point of view as well. And that combination just accelerated the whole software development process, which can be a pain in the neck when you have that disconnect between the business side and the tech side yeah i could go on 
No, I, I, I totally agree. And um, as a as someone who career changed myself, so uh, I was a technical recruiter, did a business degree, didn't know what to do, went and um, mm. fell into tech recruitment because I had a few mates that did comp side, thought I could make decent money off the back of placing them, basically. Um, mm. And I, I always felt like when I when I got into the industry um, in uh, on in a hands on role um, as a developer, I was very intimidated by the fact that a lot of people had comp side degrees and. Um, culturally the company that i joined i don't think it was a deliberate decision but they had a lot of comp side people um and i think there were only a couple of us that didn't have that traditional background and it it's intimidating at first but then i think when you realize that mm. um you have a commercial understanding that people don't necessarily develop um from uh, uh from just the pure academia side of things like I'd been working in warehouses since I was sort of 16 and all the rest of it uh, alongside my studies. And then obviously picking up working entirely with clients after university. Um, I've been able to sort of make it my brand a little bit uh, like internally and carrying that into my current job now. Um, it's quite a, it's a huge advantage, especially as you get more senior as well, to be able to put in your CV. I can reliably deal with the end users being those internal people or external people. Like it's an absolutely massive value add. And it's something that career changes often don't emphasize on their CV and application so i'd implore them to do so because i know we have a lot that listen to the show great no i mean that real world experience is invaluable and uh, it might not seem directly relevant to software engineering but it is because mm. i've seen it uh and and managing that you that customer journey and our customer expectations is a massive part of delivering software because you could do 110 things in software and that's one of the 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 opportunities, but also the challenge in that with software, you know, I can come up with an idea and you can come up with an idea and a customer can come up with an idea and every week we've got ideas coming out of our ears. But which ones should be the ones that go into version one? What's the minimum viable product? You know, what goes into this sprint? Who's working on what? How do we estimate this task? Uh, and negotiating that with the customer and having the, the emotional intelligence to do that, but also having a technical understanding as well those two combined are just unbelievably valuable yeah it, it it's so like underrated i think would be the word i'd use like how important how important it is and it, it's funny we we've immediately started talking about this because actually my this has sort of evolved more into a show talking generally about software engineering careers and that sort of thing but um mm. the original purpose of this podcast was actually um, to discuss everything apart from coding in a coding role uh, and how important that actually is. Uh, and then I realized there obviously wasn't enough material actually to go <laughs> to go as many episodes as we have. So it's become more of a general show, um, although albeit very focused on um, that side of things. And I, I, I just think that um, it's just something that's not realized. And I think, again, you, you said in universities, like it, it is a, it is a big, big disconnect. Like even on my business degree, which in theory should be very vocational, um mm. so it's not just a computer science issue in theory my business degree should have been super vocational but there was no kind of uh emphasis on you know real world issues like how we'd go about solving things in a real business and um mm. i think something we could learn from uh germany um quite a lot is uh how they have the work student system uh where you know your degree will be a little bit longer but in the last couple of years i think how it works and i'm sure any german listeners could enlighten me on this um is you maybe spend 20 hours a week uh with it with a business and that, that's just such a good way of doing it because you're getting the, the theory and the vocational experience all in one well you know i think uh it's been realized that there is something missing with the traditional educational model 
and now we do have graduate apprenticeships within the, for example, within the University of Glasgow, you can do mm. a four-year graduate apprentice uh, software engineering degree where half of your time is in the university and half of it is with an employer or uh, the workplace. And so you're getting that real world coupled with the theory in, in that one package. And the reason they've done that is because that just getting all the theory and then being expected to go get a job without any experience just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's going right back. I mean, I don't have too much reading on this, but you know, apprenticeships used to be a way and a model for, for general society. It doesn't matter what role you were in. And I think for certain vocations, it's definitely something that needs to be, uh, you know, go, going back to that model for sure. Because mm-hmm. software engineering, like, you could learn all the theory in the world. You watch all the videos and read all the books and still not know how to do anything. Do you, know? you have to get your hands into the code mess up a few things and get that practical real world experience yeah one of the best ways to learn um about software engineering i think as, as a junior i think when i really started to have everything click uh was mm. when i was assigned bug tickets on a senior engineer's uh, existing code because right. greenfield is fun building your mm. own thing from the ground up is fun um but mm. it, you can easily build in anti-patterns and that kind of thing without realizing and then i think yeah it really started to click when the senior dev on my, on my team who had 20 years experience and i had like two months it'd be like mm. oh i've got to do all this stuff cam do you mind having a look at these these couple of tickets and then i'm looking through how he did it all and like why has he done this why has he done that like um mm. kind of tracing back each question i had and if i couldn't answer that question making some notes throughout the day and then um sort of chatting to him later in the day saying like so why does this work the way it does and um realizing that okay if i if i fix if i do this it will fix issue this issue but then it could bring about this issue and then you play that classic whack-a-mole game which is frustrating but makes you learn a lot um mm. certainly with i mean i spent most of my career doing react and um you know it was a very <laughs> very good way of learning how the use effect hooks uh hooks work um certainly was was doing the bug fixes but yeah it's, it's just the best way of doing it in my opinion i can't say anything on top of that it's the best mm. way of doing it and it's the only way of doing it going forward yeah yeah and in in your um when you place a student with uh with an organization so is that does that normally mean they end up like pair programming and that, and that kind of thing is that usually the structure so when we, we don't really place them what we do is that we match them on these projects and then we manage the project. Ah, okay. Oh, nice. And now the student benefits there in that I'm bringing in experience from, say, 40, 50, 60 projects now that I've shipped in my approach to building. Now, I don't know everything, and nor does anyone in any technical role know, role know everything, just because of the, the speed of uh, innovation. But there are principles that are beyond the, the, the latest framework and the latest language and whatnot and sharing that intuition that you built over time with a student who's doing their first or second project in a real world context is invaluable to the student it gives them that assurance that you know someone's here that's been down this road before and is going to manage the interaction with the customer uh, and so and also on the customer side it gives the customer the confidence that They've got, especially if they're not technical, because to me, uh, I understand their predicament and their dilemma and their anxiety and that I don't know nothing about cars. Mm. And I proudly say that because if I wanted to know a lot about cars, I'd go learn. I'm just not interested. 
But when I go to the garage to get something fixed, I have no idea whether the guy is telling me something that I can trust or not. And so to sidestep that, you know, potential getting ripped off, I found a guy who I trust. Now his name's Sandy. <laughs> and if Sandy tells me, Omar, you need a new ex, I'll be like, cool, let's do it. Because I know he's not going to rip me off. I trust him. And what I say to people from a non-technical background is pair with a software developer or a software team or agency that you trust and then engage in that process with them. If they lock you out of it, that's a problem as well. So what we do is that we co-create with the customer. So it's fascinating um, just to me the, the, the method of delivering software because it's so hazardous and you can throw millions at it and still get it wrong which makes mm. me laugh. And it's sad as well, though. In, in a weird like, way, there's almost a relationship between the more money you throw at it, the higher chance it'll be a complete disaster. Almost too many cooks. Mm. Yeah. You just need to get... Uh, I mean, I don't know. There's no formula here, right? Mm. But we've seen governments even just throw millions, sometimes billions at this thing. Just get it horribly wrong. It's just yeah. mind-blowing. Like what one particular example comes to mind is the uh, do you remember the mega XL spreadsheet uh, during COVID um, oh. where they had so they had all the records of oh. um, it was either everyone's vaccinations or all the oh test results uh, in one XL spreadsheet Honest. and it yeah so it exceeded fifty thousand rows and the whole thing completely crashed um, and then uh, the person in charge of it I think she got a New Year's on <laughs> wow. which I think just sums it up really doesn't it. It's funny, but it's scary as well. Yeah, Not behind the scenes, it's just duct tape and scissors and cell tape, isn't it? Yeah, it's often the way. And because the problem oh. is, if you don't want to, like, if you you don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Fine. Mm. But the problem is, then there's a reason why all these banks are running on COBOL and they're mm. having to bring in people in their 80s to maintain it because no one else knows how to deal with it. Like, it, mm. it, it's scary because technical debt. Again, it's this is something that's worth, you know, that you probably don't learn in university. I mean, I'm kind of guessing here because I, I don't have that comp sci uh, background originally, but concepts like managing technical debt is absolutely massive in a day-to-day -day job. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of kicking the can down the road, ah, oh, you know, it's fine, we'll deal with it later. And things like that are just massive. Like, um, yeah. it's all parts of the life cycle are, are so difficult to get right. And it's none of it's actually hands-on coding. It's the management of the code. And it's that part that's missing, and I think that's what's trying to be brought in through apprenticeships or what what we are doing. So we've got more students than we've got projects. I've got more. I've got students from all over Scotland right now, and some I'm starting to get students signing up from England, and I have not got any presence in England in terms of marketing to students, and even in Scotland, uh, I've spoken to a lecturer at the University of Glasgow, and word has just spread from there. He sent out a mailing list to students. And now we're up to St Andrews, the UWS, Edinburgh, Heriot Watt, uh, Strathclyde and Glasgow. Because students are desperate for that experience and they know how valuable it is. One in the day-to-day, -day, they don't have to be stacking shelves, which is just criminal, right? Why is someone, someone having to do that? Why can't they do something alongside the degree that complements the degree and gets them paid? Mm, absolutely. And to... You know, that whole catch-22, you can't get a job because you don't have experience and you can't get experience because you don't have a job. That's criminal as well. 
There's still yeah. student loans, but let's not get started on that. <laughs> I mean, it's I, like I, <coughs> the student loans of me is so painful because I live in Scotland and I went to an English uni. Um, mm. So it's absolutely brutal. I've got the worst of both. Parts. I've oh got the higher God. income tax and the higher student loan repayments. I feel for you. <laughs> but yeah, I just try not to yeah. think about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not the healthiest way, personal finance wise, of dealing with it. But yeah, just try not to think about it is the way I go. Um, and it, it, in terms yeah. of, um, I, I meant to ask earlier, actually, um, your, your original motivation for learning to code, you were working for your parents at the time in, in retail. Was that because yeah. you were trying to, um, simplify processes for them or was it just something you stumbled across? No, I was trying to escape that world. Uh, uh, as much as I loved it and look back to it fondly and reminisce about it and realize how much I learned there that I didn't realize at the time. I was just trying to move it. I mean, I love tech mm. and I was just like trying to, you know, just how do you make a website? How do you do this? How do you do the apps and all that kind of stuff? And reading a book behind standing behind a counter, <laughs> I suppose it took my mind off a lot of things, but I learned how to code along the way. And then I got a few customers. So it was that really more than anything. I was just trying to like, and a lot of people do that. Like tech is an absolutely amazing field. I'm so passionate about it. But a lot of people are stuck in careers that they're not passionate about. And tech needs more and more people. Not everyone needs to be able to go hardcore into the back end of a database and reconfigure its internals. Tech needs artists and creatives and business people and people who can do user interfaces and user experience and experiences and user journeys. It's just... You know, what I say is that tech used to be a vertical industry and now it's a horizontal in that it doesn't matter if you're in property, health, finance, education, everything is now touched by tech. And so it cuts across all fields and so it needs people from all, all sorts of backgrounds. And that's what excites me about tech in that it's getting bigger. It's not for an elite or geeky or nerdy group of people anymore. Everyone is needed here and everyone's coming and that makes it more exciting in terms of the services, the products that are going to be built. Uh, I'm excited by it all and that's what energizes me. Yeah. About tech, I think it's the best place to be. I, I 100% agree. I think every day is kind of like being an entrepreneur in terms of um, certainly being a software engineer. Is like I think about on a micro scale, how is this project going to work? How can I um scale this all up and um and I, I totally agree in terms of like the different backgrounds that, that we do need in this industry like it massively benefits to have mm. i feel like you know if you're in, i'm not trying to bad mouth accountants right but accountancy mm. is kind of you do it one way and if you do it the wrong way a different way if you deviate you're probably in prison um or you're mm. losing them a lot of money um whereas tech there's so many different ways you can do it and like you said you know bring in getting the artist getting the teacher getting the musician because a lot of the time if someone thinks of things a little bit differently that's where the true mm. innovation happens um so there's one the innovation and then two the um the side of uh people from a different range of backgrounds skills strengths and uh, perspectives will build better products because you're just taking in into account people with much more diversity of experience and opinion that's just a no-brainer and we talk about diversity and all this kind of stuff but we're nowhere near where we need to be mm -hmm. and it's not because oh let's make omar feel better because he's brown and bring him into the room mm -hmm. 
it's that there's a bottom line benefit to the business in having a diversity of opinion. As you say, diversity leads to innovation. If everyone in a room is like mono thinking the same thing, how competitive are you going to be in a global landscape where you're competing against people from everywhere in the world? Anyone who's got an internet connection and, and a, some computing device could potentially, you know, launch something, right? So, uh, and it's boring. Mono think, mono this, mono culture. I don't want to be in an environment where there's just one way of doing something. I want to be in a, a dynamic, vibrant environment that challenges me and we're, creating things that uh, I couldn't have done on my own. So I don't know where we started off there. I think, I, think, I think we're talking about the how tech just needs people from the oh, different backgrounds yeah. to come in. And uh, you were saying how it's become uh, like vertical. Rather than, I can't remember which way around it is. Horizontal, <laughs> meaning it's going across <laughs> yeah. all industries rather than being this little silo on its own. Yeah. It touches everything. And yeah, another thing I wanted to say was to me, tech, today and it's changing it's almost like you know these ancient uh, kind of like stories that you'll hear about we had the priesthood and had access to this coded hieroglyphic language and only they could read it and the general lay people public were not allowed to learn that language and that's how they were dominated i think a lot of that happened in tech whereby there was this set of people you got to read these obscure symbols and learn how to control these machines and they would gatekeep mm-hmm. and not let anyone else in and they would gatekeep by being absolute. I know this is a family-friendly show, so I'll probably not say it. <laughs> I've got access be- to a censoring bleep, so go, away. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> no, no, they would just be absolute dorks, right? Yeah. And make and you would ask them a simple question and they make you feel absolutely stupid, which has led to... A lot of people come to me and go, hi, Omar, I'm not technical, meaning they're trying to disarm me before I jump on them because that's their experience of technical people. If I say something that is quote-unquote stupid, I'll be made to look really stupid here. So I'll I'll upfront say, by the way, I don't know, I'm a noob. (laughs) I don't know anything here. And I feel sorry for them for having to do that. Mm. And I hate that gatekeeping that goes on with the technical side of things. I don't know anything. Uh, I don't know everything, and neither do you, and I've said that before. A lot of how I solve problems is the value that I bring to the table, and that is what software engineering is about. Learning the key principles about operating systems, algorithms, and all that kind of stuff, but it's your approach to solving problems and how you help uh, and support other people in your team to solving those problems, because nine teams out of ten, no one in the team is going to have seen that bug before. What is your strategy to solve that? Step one, step two, step three. That is what's valuable. And so don't yeah. come, it just riles me up when someone comes and trying to ha- throws off the sense of knowing everything. And if you say something wrong, it's like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. No, and I don't like that gatekeeping. So that's yeah. that's a bit of a rant, but there you go. No, I, I totally agree. And I've experienced it myself. Um, you know, I think the industry term is the talented arsehole. Um, is right, always the worst go. hire like where they they you know they're good at what they do 
but they gatekeep because they they refuse to explain stuff and yeah. uh, they'll be impossible to work with. You could never assign a junior to learn from them. And then in the mm. end, it's sometimes better just to get someone who maybe has 80% of their coding ability, but it's just so much better to deal with clients, help the juniors. Like that's Definitely. where it all comes from. And in terms of how you should conduct yourself, I think as, as an engineer, um, I, I released a YouTube video a while ago called um, Code Like a, Don't Code Like an Artist, Code Like a Pragmatist. And I was deliberately mm. being a bit provocative in the sense of a lot of the time I hear people say, oh, coding is an art. And yeah, yeah, it is. Um, because, you know, you think outside the box, think about innovations and that kind of thing. But actually, if you frame it in terms of you want to be able to help an organization either make money or save money and work effectively as a team and make sure that the non-technical people understand what you're talking about and don't trap them behind a load of jargon. Um, that's mm. the way that actually you can advance yourself, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, there's that whole debate about whether it's art or design, is mm. it science and whatnot. I mean, it's better both, like you say, you can bring your yeah. creativity, your individual individual style to it, but at the end of the day, you're trying to solve a problem and, and it's got a tangible measurable outcome and if it doesn't read reach that then you're not going to get paid or hired for the next job so there are there are always constraints so see what is see where there's no constraints then i usually find it's just difficult to even to get started but when you've got constraints in that you know this is the canvas here are the, the paints you're getting to use and there's some sort of like tangible limits to what you can do otherwise it's like if it's if it's free reign, then you usually don't really get to solve that problem, I think, because uh, there's, no, there's no boundaries to it. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're looking at it from a design point of view, uh, design is usually different from art, uh, from, from what I've read, and design usually has a very uh, constrained uh, boundary to it, whereas art can be, I'm probably like offending a lot of people here, I'm saying <laughs> I should just stop. But what I'm saying is I'm agreeing with you with regards to software being a bit of art and a bit of science. You've got to balance. At the end of the day, you've got to deliver a result. Yeah. Uh, but it depends. I mean, if you're working for a business, yeah, you've got to deliver a result. If you're just coding in your own time, doing something, uh, you don't really want to make money out of and all that. So, I mean, software is like writing almost, right? It's language, and it comes back to that hieroglyphic thing I was talking about mm. earlier on. It can't be that some people know how to read and write and some people don't. So that's just an imbalance in power. And coding and knowing about how the digital world works is increasingly going to be how power is distributed across society. And those that don't understand the tech are going to be dominated over. That's just a fact. Yeah. So to level that playing field... Yeah, you need to get clued up a little bit on it. Like I said, you don't have to know about the internals of a database. But you need to know a little bit more than the shapes of these hieroglyphics and be able to read them and understand a little bit of it so you can speak. So we don't have that conflict between business and technical teams. Absolutely. And not to mention as well, you don't have to be a software engineer to use code in your job. No, like the amount no. of people who are in stuff like operations who use yeah. uh, SQL like tons because it helps them make decisions um yeah. you know all, and you know just learning to use uh python scripts in almost any job is, is going to be useful um like it's so yeah. if you can you can get your admin uh done super easily with loads of python scripts like the book i always bang on about on here i don't know if you come across it is automate mm. the boring stuff with python um it's, it. it's fantastic 
Is that the one that's got like a lawnmower on the front cover? Yeah, same one, lawnmower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love that. Forgot a guy's name. Absolutely brilliant book. But even beyond that, this, like you say, there's so many grades to being more digitally literate. You could learn Python or SQL, or you could jump on a no-code tool. But li- know a little bit about mm. how it works behind the scenes, and it's not magic, you know, quote unquote. But you understand this is on a server somewhere. There's a database, and this is a user interface, and blah blah blah. I know how this thing works generally uh so the stages right but i don't think it's cool uh from the tech side people making it out to be that only specially ordained people can become techies or another side to have that fear of it going forward yeah yeah the fear is common. Uh, I think it, it's interesting. We we had um, so on the show probably about ten episodes uh, episodes ago. Uh, we had uh, Lee Jones on, who used to play for Glasgow Warriors actually, um, and right. he is now retrained and become a software engineer. And he was saying he first got interested uh, back in the uh, back when he was a kid, and he was doing basic programming. Um, and he said in the manual there was a, a, a headline that basically said, "Remember, no matter what you're going to do." Uh, you're not going to break the computer, uh, and he said like yeah. that was what he took uh, took a, took ahead in, into his career transition. Um, and I I've never heard that kind of phrase before, but I, I really liked it because you're not going to break a computer by experimenting around with it. You know, if if you're mm. wanting to figure out how stuff works, it's amazing how close to the surface a lot of complicated stuff happens. Um, you know, you can just open up DevTools and the network tab, and it's I I don't know if I'm a bit weird. I find it really cool to just look <laughs> look at a request firing off. I mean, you know, this is incredibly current. It's the third of July, and Twitter's going through some major drama as usual around the rate mm. limiting, and you can yeah. see what's going on um, behind the scenes in the API request just by opening up the dev tools. You don't need to code. Um, just see it there openly. It's it's really cool to think. Oh, this is actually how it all works. And as you say, it's not just magic. And then suddenly it all starts clicking, and it's like, wait a minute. Everyone else that codes is human, right? So it can't be that mm. difficult. And then suddenly the imposter syndrome is kind of beaten before it starts, which is where you want to be. Exactly. And I was speaking to a developer today, and they were like, I don't know how to do this thing in the cloud because we've got the cloud provider. And I was like, dude, it's just another computer. Yeah. Do you know? And I said it knowing that I, I was in his place once as well. We have this, like, in, you're intimidated and thinking, oh, my God. But when you realize it's just another computer, it's the same computer as the one I've got, i.e. it's got a hard drive, it's got a disk, it's got a CPU, some memory, it's got programs, operating system. All oh, right, okay, yeah, that's right, obviously. It's, I mean... And then that just, there's an aha moment there, but there's tons of those aha moments that then you realize, no, this isn't magic. It's just things, but it is magical in that I'm, and I'm sure you are as well. Everyone that's in software, it's a wonderful technology. Even if you know how it works, it still fascinates you on a daily basis and invigorates you and, and, and charges you up to continue doing it. Yeah. It's one of those jobs where you can wake up and genuinely learn 10 new things every single day. And I don't, I'm biased, but I don't think there's many other jobs where you can do that. I don't know. Maybe there are. Like being a neurosurgeon or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could take that pressure. I'd much rather take down prod than uh, take down someone's <sighs> brain. <laughs> I don't know. I think all fields are equally exciting. But software is especially more so because I think it ties into everything else, like I said, about being horizontal. I mean, even neuro uh, you know, studies, 
learn a lot from computing science and how mm-hmm. how we model systems and how we build systems and and do uh, just uh, simulations and whatnot of things. They they're learning a lot from that and look at neural networks and all that. I don't know how they work, but it's like if you want to be at the center of everything right now, then it's software. Yeah. And it's not, that's not going to change. Like the cat's out the proverbial bag. Uh, like it's been the best time to learn software was 20 years ago. The second best time is now uh, really, because it's not, it's not going to go away. Like the, tools and solutions are only going to get more and more codified and uh, every single legacy system that is currently done by brokers human brokers that will eventually all be all be brought into software and yeah maybe brokers will become augmented rather than replaced Um, Mm. but there's still so much that gets done by paper by hand there's like when you really think about there's so many people in the world that aren't actually that online yet like we're mm. not even that far into uh, into the information age, really. Um, mm. Although some people are now saying we're in the AI rather than the information age, but um, I think it's still early days for that. We'll see. We'll see what happens over the next year or two with that. Yeah, it's massively early days, man. I mean, look at if you, any technology that's come uh, radically changed the trajectory of society, whether it's the printing press or the cars or planes, or if you go all the way back to fire. It's like, what am I trying to say here? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, if you call it information age and then the AI age, who cares what it's called? But the internet and computers have changed a lot of things. Mm. And we're just at the beginning of, of that change. And just look at what's happened in this year alone. It's been nuts. ChatGPT came out, AI absolutely exploded. But this isn't the first time AI has exploded, but probably not on this scale. Uh what else is it to say? I don't know. What were we talking about? Passion, be passionate about... Uh, oh, software not going away. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, things always evolve. Evolutions are, you know... Uh, evolutions are constant. Sorry, I had to, had to do that there. That juxtaposition. But things are always constantly going to evolve. Look at this whole Vision Pro thing that Apple's coming up with. Whether you like Apple or not, whether you like the headset or not, the dangling little battery coming out of it. But the fact is, desktops and the way we interact with the internet and phones and whatnot is not gonna not gonna stay static here. I think you know, I hate the word metaverse, but it's gonna happen. You know, mm-hmm. a, a more augmented virtual reality version of the digital space. And so you're gonna need people that could build those digital spaces. Uh, and it's going to be a variety of people, people that know the nuts and bolts, and then people who put great experiences on it and make it emotionally uh, intelligent and whatnot. Yeah, and I, I think the thing is about Apple with their Vision Pro. I can't think of any actual miss from Apple in the last twenty years when they've launched something new. So people are saying, "Oh, it looks a bit goofy," and all the rest of it. I mean. Mm everyone said that about the airpods and i know it's a it's a very very Mm. different product um Mm. but like it it's i wonder if in 10 years it will be just completely ubiquitous uh everyone has it will be man but the thing with apple uh is a saying they never discuss politics and religion in polite company Mm -hmm. and i always add operating systems to that because (laughs) you know i love apple but i i understand everyone out there not not everyone agrees or believes in what I believe in. So fine. Uh, and getting into those kind of like 
debates just personally. I just find them draining. But yeah, Apple are going to... I mean, they threw the doors open. There was Oculus there and what else? I don't know what the space is. PlayStation VR and whatnot. Yeah. But Apple, when they do something, they bring it mainstream. Yeah, I, I think you just didn't really have people on the street talking about Oculus Rift. Uh, you didn't have... Um, I remember, do you remember the Google Glass like promo thing that went yeah. absolutely nowhere about ten years mm. ago? No one was really talking about that apart from that, you know, in in tech a little bit. And then, yeah, I, I I can I don't know I can't see myself buying one, but I probably will. Um, the only thing the, is uh, the, the, the Vision the Pro. Pro. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I might have to take out a mortgage to do it if uh, the mm. price leaks are correct. But uh, yeah, the only thing that's made me think is out of the home. How are you mm. not going to get mugged for it? If you're walking down the street with it on, like, <laughs> listen, you know, and I know that this is version one. We're on version what fourteen of the iPhone, and compare yeah. what we've got today to what was originally released. This ten versions down the road is going to be a completely different beast. It's going to yeah. essentially have the same functionality, but the size of it, mm. the price point, uh, the ease of, of of putting it on and off, and all that stuff. You know, it's it's going to be just refined and that's what i love about apple and that they do that whole lean startup approach which is what i uh, advocate with our customers in that you can't start with version 10 and usually customers come to the table or even whether it's your manager in, in an organization and they're wanting some software uh, uh, idea implemented you as a software engineer are the person most capable of influencing that roadmap in terms of making it something that is actually going to get launched and works and not go over budget, not go over time by uh, following that lean methodology by saying we'll release version one and then two and then three and then four. Meaning this is an iterative journey. It's not a, a big bang. Uh, you tell me the requirements and I pop out uh, my IDE four weeks later or eight weeks with this fully formed product without any input from you. And so I like that way of developing products. So the Vision Pro, who knows what it's going to be like five versions from now or yeah. 10. I, I, I agree with the, the lean startup is just the way of the way of doing it really. Like uh, I think Reed Hoffman said, um, if you're not embarrassed or at least a little bit embarrassed by your MVP, then you probably launched mm. too late, uh, which <laughs> 100%. it's, it's a tricky one to balance. Cause obviously you don't want to launch something broken, um, mm. to your end users. But, um, yeah, it's like you say, I, I, I've never worked, um, directly with clients as in like myself being the freelancer. Um, but mm. you know, I work a lot in my current job. I work a lot with internal users and they have all these requirements and you just have to prioritize and be like, okay, mm. what do you actually need the most? What's the core functionality of this? And it comes back to what mm. we were saying earlier about how important of a skill that actually is versus going away and just building a load of stuff and then realizing half that's not going to be used. Yeah. Because you could be the greatest technical genius on the earth, but if you can't deliver a fully functional working thing, then you're useless. Yeah. Full stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know I, mean? I, mean, it's, I don't it, care if you've got like a first class degree, but if you don't know how to deliver a working thing, then go be an academic. Mm. And the world needs academics equally, um, of course. No, is, come on, man. I wasn't a dig at <laughs> academics. <laughs> and you just digging the hole deeper for me. I'm just saying that skill set is not the skill set that's needed in industry. Yeah. If you right want to go and right in, 
and, and go and check out novel ideas and we need academics yeah but i'm digging a deeper hole for me here for myself as well but lovely friends are academics we need them but industry needs a different skill set mm-hmm. yeah and you, you need the yeah you need a little bit of column a column b uh in in general because you know we need the people that are gonna research things uh do incredibly deep open source contributions that then commercial mm. stuff relies on obviously especially with the open source side of things that means commercial does need to give back to open source um mm. but yeah it's it, it's absolutely like imperative to understand that uh, to, to hit the limit of what you're going to research because it is difficult because obviously you need to you need to research a little bit you need to um, innovate a little a little bit but but it's hard to then know where to stop and just deliver like um, I mean it's a super basic example but one thing I always um, say to people is that for aspiring front-end developers ui uh, ui libraries is not cheating a lot of them seem to think mm. it's cheating if you use a ui library rather than building everything up from scratch yourself um, that's nuts imagine is, i asked you to go build a house and then you got your the, the, an axe and went and, and sort of to, to, to chop down some trees and i was like uh cam what are you doing and you're like <laughs> well if i went to bnq and i bought a ready-made door that'd be cheating I don't want to hit you over the head with the axe. I'm like, dude, you're going to take six years to build this house. I need it, I need it like a six months or a 12 months. I don't know how long it takes to build the house. But that is a kind of mindset that is just not cool. What? How far back are you going to go? Like, well, what point you know, are you programming on bare metal? Yeah. Right, exactly. Go back to the, oh my God, you go back to assembly or something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Are you going to be coding in, in ones and zeros at some point? You've lost yeah. the plot at that point. You need to check out. Yeah. And check in somewhere else. Because it's, it's, just, it's not cool. And that, though, could be said with a straight face by someone and not be questioned in the right environment or the wrong environment. Mm. And you've got to have someone who comes in and goes, wait a minute. I know a lot about, about this stuff. That's just complete nonsense. But I've seen customer after customer taken round the bend by developers that don't know any better and a customer doesn't know that they've been just taken for a ride. I swear, I, I spoke to a customer today and they had basically been taken for a ride for over a year. And I felt pain for that customer because it was like, how can that even happen? And it happens when you don't know nothing and so exactly. you're you're being led it's a blind being led by the blind mm. and that's just it's tragic because uh, money gets lost time gets wasted dreams get dashed and it's all downhill from there and t- time is money um and it, it's amazing the amount of the amount of people i i, I get this isn't a brag it's just because i have a tiktok with a mm. um mild following I get quite a lot of people DMing me and saying, you're a developer. I have this idea. Um, Can I, you know, if you build it, it's the classic meme, but if you build it, I'll give Mm. you 50% and I'm the idea guy. Um, But I always say to them, uh, look, I have no capacity right now, even if it's not Mm. entirely true. Um, I have no capacity right now, um, but um, here are these no-code tools. I'm assuming you don't know how to code yet. Here are these no-code tools. Build a prototype because the dev will appreciate that a lot more. And Mm. I always know if they're going to quote-unquote make it, if they're like, oh, wow, thanks. What would you suggest about X, Y, and Z? And then they go away and actually use that no-code tool versus people who are like, no, I just need a dev. 
um, because they don't know the complexity yeah. of what they're building. Uh, and they can, you know, if there is an unscrupulous dev, um, they, they can be absolutely, as you said, taken for a ride. Or, you know, yeah. they end up with an inexperienced person and uh, ends up in a, um, you know, a complete tangle. It's horrible to see, though, when someone's been taken for that ride. Yeah. I saw it today. It made me sad. <laughs> it was just like, wow. Because they're good people. Mm. And they're trying to bring a product out into the market that's going to help a lot of people. And I don't even think the dev, uh, there, was a, there was a team of them did it will for you. There was no malicious kind of like intent. It's just the devs didn't know any better. Uh, it's like the blind being led by the blind kind of thing. And so, yeah, and that could be avoided if you knew a little bit about tech and if it wasn't seen as this magical, mystical thing. Yeah, that's what it all comes down to. Yeah. It's an information issue at the end of the day. People people don't, people are intimidated by it or the line I Here's get all the time is my brain just doesn't work that way. And actually it can. You're just taught, you've told yourself that it doesn't and you're more than capable of understanding it. Here's the thing. A lot of us don't like maths when we're in our school, but we still yeah. know how to count and we still know how to like figure out if we're getting scammed uh, in like a, a a deal or a transaction because we know uh, there's, there's, there's a limited there's a minimal amount of math that you should know or else you're not going to be able to function in society mm. and we need to get to that point with tech you don't need to know everything you don't need to be creating all these crazy uh, things uh, with maths but everyone should be taught at a school at least a little bit because we're so dependent on these devices now and, and this technology. And it's, it's it's a very fabric of our society now. It's everywhere. And if you don't know even the first thing about it, you're just going to get, you're going to end up in situations that are difficult. Mm. It's, a, it's amazing the lack of education around IT. Even now, even in 2023, I think it has improved a bit. But I mean, no. I, I went to school in the late 2000s and um, we, had, we had compulsory Latin um, mm. past the point where we were forced to give up IT when we were 12, 13. They just didn't provide That's it after nuts. that. And we had to do Latin until we were 14. How many times have you used Latin in your life? None. Uh, I, occasionally, <laughs> like, occasionally I could show off a little bit and just be like, oh, that means X, Y, and Z. But I've completely forgotten it all now. The only thing I remember what? is uh, canis est in horto, which I think means the dog is in the garden. That is literally the only thing I remember out of, yeah, out of the crazy, whole of Latin. <laughs> and they forced you through that, whereas you could have been learning about something that would have been a bit more relevant to your life exactly yeah yeah uh and you know be that computers or not although i personally think computers would have been a good idea because now i i you know i don't know everyone from i don't know what everyone from my school is doing but mm. i think there's only two or three of us that became software engineers out of a class of 150 odd but um, i guarantee every single one of them is using computers or or, or, or computing devices in some capacity absolutely yeah yeah and yet, under the hood, it may as well be a mystery. And it's actually not, it doesn't have to be a mystery. Um, but no. the way the way it's been set up for us is that, you know, these things are magic. My brain doesn't work that way. Or I'm not good at maths, which, mm. again, that's kind of my bugbear because I think we just teach maths really badly. Um, like, yeah. I know there's been this huge push to make people do maths until they're 18. And um, I, I weirdly, uh, I'm probably going to get some hate for this. I understand why they're doing it. And I understand where they're coming from around mm. around it but i just think by that point everyone's if you've decided you don't like maths you probably decide you don't like maths when you're 12 
rather than 16. And then you just have two years of just sitting in class wishing that you weren't having to do maths. And, um, you know, if they, if they taught it in terms of, uh, in terms of technology or in terms of how business works, like around accountancy or something like that, then suddenly it I think would become a lot more interesting and you'd actually see the value of it because a lot of people have said to me, what's the point in doing maths? And there is a point because we're in a STEM crisis, uh, in terms Mm. of like actually having the people, but, um, you know, people tell themselves they don't like maths when they're 12 because it's taught in such a terrible way to be honest yeah i think i said it's just, it's just boring yeah <laughs> you know? yeah i mean it's totally right it is just boring yeah i've dressed yeah. it up a bit but that's what it is it's just it's taught in a boring way yeah no <laughs> it's, a taught, but it's a fascinating subject yeah it really yeah is. every subject's fascinating i think but if it's taught in the right way and that's telling that people usually associate their most uh fond memories with a teacher that they connected with Mm. And a teacher that could communicate and, 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 and relay that subject to them in a way where they didn't fall asleep. So whether that's mm. maths, music, art, science, whatever it was, you come across these gems and they communicate in a way that you connect and then you love the subject, whatever it is. Yeah, I think for me that was history, but there's not much work for historians out there. So I've, it means I'm still interested in it. I listen to lots of podcasts about it and read about it. But yeah, it's exactly as you say. I think it's because the teachers taught it in such a way that they brought it to life really well. Um, and now, you know, history's I've cool, that. man. You shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, put yourself down on that. History's amazing. I think it's amazing for leadership, management, uh, just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot you can learn from it, and also, yeah. I, I think it's easy to fall into the trap of like, if, especially because tech is so wide and mm. so in, so genuinely interesting. It's so easy to make your only interest technology. So I'm very much mm. like, I have to segment things. Like, no, but gonna, that's why I yeah. love technology <laughs> because it touches everything. There's a history of tech, computation. It ties in with maths. Mm. It goes right back to early human kind of. Uh, uh, thought and evolution in terms of we were always computing yeah compute computation there was a, there's a great saying i don't know who said it now uh, i think it was dykstra might have been uh, the famous dutch uh, computer scientist but he goes uh, computers are to computing what uh, telescopes are to astronomy meaning there are means to an end computation exists in biology exists and that's what i find it just takes me into the stratosphere in terms of the, the, the beauty of the subject. It touches, there's competition in trees and plants and in your body and those, those, so, so what I'm getting at is that computing I find is fascinating from multiple uh, angles, whether it's a history of computing, whether it's computation in and of itself as a mechanism that exists in the universe, whether it's user interfaces, color, design, psychology, whether it's startups and business models and marketing, whether it's scaling up an organization from, you know, a few users to a thousands to going global. It's got everything. So whether you like management or, or any of the other stuff, you can fit yourself in somewhere in tech. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just such a wide industry, and like, yeah, <laughs> even if you just decide that it's not 
for even coding like hands-on 100% isn't for you like no one thing I actually always say to um I get a lot of grads because I, I run this thing called Startup Grad Jobs which is a job platform for graduates who want to get into startups and um right. most of actually the users are non-technical people um because mm. I always say to non-technical grads who don't know what they want to do I say if you want to learn a ton join a tech mm. startup and if you're more mm. extroverted do sales and if you're slightly less extroverted do operations or something related to the product marketing um and you will learn a ton because you'll touch absolutely everything you'll learn you'll learn a bit about how the product works especially if you're interested in that and then you know for me i didn't know what i wanted to do started working for a recruitment agency went and worked for a SaaS platform where we were trying to replace recruitment agencies and i was selling that and i was like this is so sick but how does this all work under the hood and then nine months later I'm a developer. Uh, I became a developer myself, and um, you know, was was writing code for a um, uh, for a broadcast technology company, and having an absolute blast getting uh, getting the Bundesliga uh, streams working for customers all over the world. Uh, a very specific yeah. uh, customer, actually. It was um, we're getting the Bundesliga streams working for Japanese viewers. So German football right. fans in Japan were very pleased with my work. Um, but it's amazing how quickly you can end up working on something really cool um just from you know a little spark in tech so yeah it's uh i think we could both agree very very cool in uh, industry and one everyone should try and get in definitely i can't agree with you more <laughs> i think that's probably like the best point to um to to end it on but this is an awesome chat omar i think we've probably got enough material for like 10 podcasts in the future so you're welcome back anytime thanks for joining me listen and let me finish this with a plug yep. Because I'm shameless at this point. No, absolutely. Go ahead. And what I want to say is uh, anyone out there that's listened to this and it's non-technical and it's agreed with anything that me and Cam have talked about and feel intimidated about that whole software development journey and how do you take an idea from PowerPoint to prototype and come, come talk to me. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Go to my website, loopsio.com. And let's have a chat. Uh, we're trying to open and broaden the technical uh, industry, the tech industry. And there's a lot of people that don't have that technical background, but have got great ideas. So we want to talk to you and find out how we can help you bring them, uh, make them a reality. And that's the plug. Fantastic. That sounds really cool. So all those links will be down in the description. Um, but And thanks as well to the listeners for checking out another episode of The Code of Career. Uh, this has been Cam with Omar. See you next week.